Welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Here's your host, the Bitcoin Boomer himself, Gary Leland. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, also known as the Bitcoin Boomer. I want to thank you for joining us for our second season, but I also want to thank the people here at BizTV and BizTalk Radio for all the help they've been giving us. Now, this is also the second decade for Bitcoin. That's right. Bitcoin is now in its second decade. So it's kind of proven itself that it can be here and it's probably going to be here for a long, long time. Now, in this show, we try to educate you about Bitcoin. That's it. We want you to know a little bit more about Bitcoin. We don't have any Bitcoin to sell you. This isn't an infomercial. This is just educating you about Bitcoin. So you know enough maybe to carry on a decent conversation or maybe we'll get you interested enough that you'll start learning more about Bitcoin. Uh, on the show, we're gonna bring on great guests to help as well. It's just not gonna be me, it never is. Now, at the moment, boomers control most of the money in the United States. We've gone through at a great time in life and now most of the boomers are exiting life and leaving money to their kids, the millennials. But the boomers are still here. Most of them do not know about Bitcoin and we need the boomers learning about Bitcoin so they can start taking advantage of this, whether they want the money for themselves or if they wanna pass it down to their children and grandchildren. This time in life is an opportunity that I believe shouldn't be missed. So that's why we wanna educate you about Bitcoin and what it can do, where it came from, what the possible future of Bitcoin is. Now on today's show, we're gonna bring you a friend of mine, Guy Swan. Now if you've ever listened to an Audible book or audio book on Audible about Bitcoin, well, there's an excellent chance that Guy Swan was the voice that you were listening to. That's right. Guy is one of the, I don't know, audio authors of books on Bitcoin on Audible. So you may recognize his voice as soon as you hear it. And on today's show, we're going to talk about lightning. Bitcoin Lightning Protocol. Now, Lightning is an overlying layer on Bitcoin that helps with transfers. Make them quick, make them cheap, because that's a complaint we always hear. It takes too long and costs too much to transfer Bitcoin. Well, Lightning takes care of that. So we're gonna talk about all that and more in a few minutes right after this commercial break, but I do wanna remind you to tell your friends about this show share it with them. You're going to do them a favor if you share this information with them because they will learn while you learn. We'll see you in a moment back here on the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Okay, guys, this is Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer, and you need to come here if you want to find out what Bitcoin is, if you want to just meet some great people and have a great time come to BitBlock Boom, but it's one thing, you have to be a Bitcoiner. We don't allow shitcoiners. Last week in August, every year, moving to Austin. Yeah, I love coming to BitBlock Boom because it's like, it's like Mecca for Bitcoiners. Like, everybody here is like part of the hardcore, like inner sanctum. Um, you just have these conversations with everybody where like you can see it in their eyes that they believe the same things that you believe. You come to BitBlock Boom once, you're gonna come every year. Speakers are great. The networking is great because you know, that's really what it's about when you're uh, a Bitcoiner, especially when you're a new Bitcoiner, is you want to network with as many Bitcoiners as you can and learn because there's so much information, not only about Bitcoin, but about money in general. 
Hey, so I'm down here at Biplock Boom, and what energy, what a lot of fun. It's all Bitcoiners and uh, just good people. That's the one thing that, that all my interactions that I've had with people, you can tell you're just dealing with a culture of people that just want to make the world a better place. So if you want to come to a Bitcoiner conference, not a crypto conference or a shitcoiner conference, if you want to come to a Bitcoin conference, you would come to Bitblock Boom. But like I said, don't even mess with it. Don't even think about it. Don't even attempt to buy a ticket if you're a shitcoiner because your money's going to come back and you'll just make us both work. But if you're a Bitcoiner, you need to sign up and come to Austin now. Come to Bitblock Boom. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, and today we're going to talk about Bitcoin, but that's all we ever talk about is Bitcoin. But today I'm joined by my friend and fellow Bitcoiner, Guy Swan. Guy, welcome to the show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing excellent. Doing excellent. Um, Guy, before we get all into talking about Bitcoin real quick, Give us, give our audience a little bit of information about you, what you do, your back, kind of like your bio, I guess. Okay. Well, I've been in Bitcoin for almost 11 years, 11 years now. Um, and uh, I'm getting really close, if not exactly. Um, but uh, I'm the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. Uh, I started diving down the rabbit hole and after years of just kind of exploring and trying to explain Bitcoin online... I decided that, you know, some of the best explanations and works, I, I, I really had wished somebody would read them aloud in audio for me so that I could get through, so I could read, you know, 10 times as much as I was able to. Um, and then one day I said, I decided I would just do it. And Bitcoin Audible was born, uh, the podcast. And uh, I also do a lot of audiobooks. I think I'm like 13 or 14 audiobooks in and I got like four in the works right now. I'm working on your audiobook as you know. Um, so uh, you and so you're guys. working on, uh, let me pull it up here for everyone, the Bitcoin yeah. for Boomer book or the uh, Bitcoin in American <laughs> Dreams. Got that Bitcoin <laughs> Boomer stuck in my mind. It's a Boomer thing to do. But you're actually working on this book which should come out anytime, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're basically at the cleanup stage, just making sure there's no little errors or anything in the audio. And if anyone's interested in the um, paperback or the hardback, they can go to uh, bitcoinandtheamericandream.com and buy those on Amazon just to give people some information there. So how many books have you said you've done the audio for? I'm honestly not sure. Um, I think it's like <laughs> 13 or so right now. Um, and it will be 17 after what I've got on my plate at the moment. Oh, wait, no, 18. Actually, I have... I am honored to actually got to speak with Lynn Ulbricht um, and at uh, Bitcoin 2022, and I'm going to be doing their audiobook for free, uh, just to just because I feel like Railroaded needs an audio version, um, and if I can donate something else, you know, a little bit, yeah, I'll, I'll donate an audiobook. Well, that's that's very nice of you. Yeah, Lynn, I did a uh, podcast for her, Railroaded podcast, where I did a chapter on every episode that I have on the net at the uh, Search Railroad podcast on iTunes. So yeah, that's important for everybody to participate in that. So I'm glad to hear you're doing that. I have a question though for you about audiobooks. Um, out of all the books you've done, um, which one did you enjoy the most? I'm not gonna say which one was the best, but which one did you enjoy doing the most? 
Man, that's a tough question. Well, you first say that's I a like good a question. I like a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like a lot of them for different reasons, you know? Like, as a connoisseur of all things, all written things, um, mostly about Bitcoin, but I, I love books and stuff in general. I read a lot. Um, and it's like, it's like my love for film. Like if you ask me what my favorite or most enjoyable film is, it's different week to week, you know, it's and it's different for different reasons. But I will say most recently, um, uh, Fiat, the Fiat standard by Seyfedin, um, uh, there was some gold in that. And Seyfedin has this way of writing that's just kind of unapologetic. So it's really fun to read, you know, cause you can kind of get aggressive with the read, you, you know, like he's, he, he doesn't hold back. He's not, he doesn't try to be overly diplomatic. He just kind of says how he, how he, his analysis or his judgment, um, which makes for a really fun read. Uh, but for that same reason, I think Sasha Myers and Alan Farrington's book, Bitcoin is Venice. Um, that is one that uh, I'm, I should be starting on very soon here uh, is going to be another really fun one. I loved the Bitcoin is Venice piece. And I love a couple of the other things that they have co-authored together. Um, so that's a really good one. And then for strictly like the framing of how to think about Bitcoin, probably my favorite most recently is Nick Batia's Layered Money. Um, that, that, is so, that is so crazy. Yeah. I'm reading right now Nick Batia's book and Fiat uh, Money um, is on uh, or the Fiat Standard is on my list, the next one I'm reading. So I'll have to add <laughs> Venice. So it's funny. Two of them uh, are the ones I'm reading. I, I got about an hour left on Nick's book. And then Safe's book is my next on my list. So, But I wasn't nice. familiar with the Venice uh, one. So I guess I'm going to have to add that to my list. Yeah, Alan Farrington and Sasha have this, uh, like, this series of articles. And um, the... Yeah, their, their writing style, their writing style is just really fun. It's like uh, one of the ones that I read recently that was just Alan was uh, I finance the current thing. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's just fun to read when somebody writes with the, the oomph that they usually talk. You know what I mean? Um, and a lot of people write very differently from the way they speak. Um, and it's hard to kind of find that balance because necessarily writing is going to be different. There's not like ums and hand gestures. But uh, um, when somebody kind of finds that that sweet spot, I always I always enjoy kind of the creative writing, the more the more uh, exciting language, so to speak. Well, <laughs> let me ask you this question because this just happened to me. I went out to friend with a couple, uh, went out to dinner with a couple, my wife and I, and he finally bought some Bitcoin because of our last dinner that we had. I guess I orange pilled him, and he asked me, "Do you have a book I could read?" So I recommended as my first book, The Bitcoin Standard. And he messaged me the other day and said, I'm through with that book. What book do you recommend next? Now, what book would you have recommended? Uh, to, like I said, I think the first primer is The Bitcoin Standard. But if we went on that pretense, what would you say is the second book someone should read if they're trying to learn about Bitcoin? I would say, the, I actually tend to lean towards The Bitcoin Standard as the second book. Okay. Um, one that I think is really, really fun and it's succinct and it's only very interesting things about Bitcoin, like just like ideas of how it makes you think, is 21 Lessons by Gigi. And uh, that, one, that one is, it's shorter, and it's also, it's also got, kind of got this creative 
like style to it. It's got it's got a very different aesthetic from like your typical nonfiction. Um, it's it's fun. It's got you know uh, quotes and little like scene segments that are relating back to Alice in Wonderland in I think every single chapter. Um, so it just it just it's a fun, easily digestible piece that just gets you interested in realizing Bitcoin is more than you think it would be. Um, and then the Bitcoin standard is like kind of the thesis, right? Um, so that's usually the path that I, I push people toward because I feel like 21 lessons is just like fun tidbits, you know? Um, then after that, if, if they were leaning more towards, if they still needed quote unquote, some extra orange pilling or like framing of this, I would, I would probably go layered money next. Uh, and then a couple books down the line, I would give them Knut, Knut's von Holmes, uh, <laughs> books, um, but the, probably the best intros are 21 lessons, something like the little Bitcoin book, actually Bitcoin in the American dream is actually a good one for like introduction. Those, those short books that are really kind of like the heart of like some of the principles and just kind of touch on stuff. Those are really good intro things. And then I feel like some solid thorough nonfiction, like layered money, um, uh, that kind of tells the story of monetary history is a good one to follow up the Bitcoin standard with. Well, I'm going to have to read the 21 Lessons. Is that it? 21 Lessons? I'm not familiar with 21 that. 21 Lessons. I'm not familiar with yeah. that book. What do you think about the book? I know it's not about Bitcoin. I gave him the next book. Maybe I threw too much at him as The Creature from Jekyll Island. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's, that's the one I threw one. out next. I thought we needed to go more into money. You know, yeah. to, then I was going to throw him in the next book. You know, now mm -hmm. we're, we're taking that because next book kind of goes into that money and then goes into Bitcoin. You know what I think? Um, so that was the, the yeah the, the creature from Jekyll Island was a big one for me. It was for me too. On. That's like a, just a great book. Change my framing, to, just to change my framing of the Federal Reserve. Um, and just so let you understand what the Federal I, Reserve is. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. until then, I thought it was part of the government. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, what are these projects you're working on? Tell me, can you tell us that real quick? We got thirty seconds left. Can you name those three books? Okay, yeah. Um, uh, Bitcoin is Venice. Um, uh, check your financial pr privilege. Bitcoin in Venice is Alan Farrington's and Sasha's. Um, and uh, check your financial privilege by Gladstein. Um, we've got the uh, yours, uh, yours and Charlene's and Jimmy Song's uh, book, Bitcoin in the American Dream. Um, I've got Railroaded, and the other one I haven't started on it yet. Well, that's okay. We're out of time. We'll be right oh back God. after this word. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer, the original Bitcoin Boomer. And this is the show where we help educate you, give you a little knowledge about Bitcoin. And today, I'm joined by Guy Swan. Guy, welcome back to the show. Now, I'm sorry I had to cut you off there and I cut you off uh, pretty hard there. What was the fourth book for those who are coming back after the break there? What was the fourth book you were trying to get out? The fourth book is actually Knut von Holmes' newest, which is called Everything Divided by 21 Million. And it's actually the one I'll finish first. Um, I kind of lost my voice over the last couple of days. I'm, a little, I'm still a little congested. Um, but uh, uh, that, one, that one is actually, I'm almost done with. Um, so I'll close that one out and hopefully we'll have that one published soon. That one's really fun. That one's really fun. Okay, so let's get into, I know we were talking about Bitcoin, but we kind of were talking about books there, Bitcoin books. Let's get into Bitcoin. I'm curious, how'd you find out about Bitcoin? You told us it was about 11 years ago, but how'd you find out about Bitcoin originally? Tell us your uh, origin story, I guess. 
so we were kind of going down the Federal Reserve, uh, like Austrian economics rabbit hole. Like my brother was actually majoring in economics at the time. Um, and we were living together and he would literally be taught things in macro versus micro economics that were clearly, clearly contradictory. And he could not quite wrap his head around it. And he would argue with his professors and his professors would not give him an answer. Um, like they would kind of hand wave it away. Like that's how it is, um, which led him to think that they didn't even get it. If they couldn't kind of break it down to first principles, like why it would actually work, then something wrong there. So he would come home and we would kind of debate and argue. He'd tell me what he learned, quote unquote. Uh, and then we went down kind of the internet rabbit hole looking for the answer and eventually stumbled upon Austrian economics. Well, I, at the time, was had this fascination with tech, and I was really getting into understanding how much the internet had truly changed things. Like, I'd always thought of it as like a toy, like a video game, um, and BitTorrents and like these decentralized systems. And I was coming to realize that these things have really reshaped our world. Um, like how, like, like our reality has changed because of these things. And I was realizing how important they were. And out of nowhere, while my brother was debating somebody with economics, um, I think it was like Facebook or something. Some dude was like, you know, you'd probably be interested in this Bitcoin thing. And it was kind of the trifecta of all the things that we were interested in at the time. You know, it's the BitTorrent of money. It's a decentralized protocol. It's Austrian economics codified into literally a, a monetary software. Um, and, uh, and we were just, we were down the rabbit hole immediately, immediately. We stayed up all night that night, just reading the white paper and finding everything we could get our hands on. So uh, you were immediately then, you're saying as soon as you found out about Bitcoin, within a matter of days, you were uh, orange-pilled. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Okay. Well, I, was, I was orange-pilled by nine o'clock the next morning. Once it was explained to me properly, I think I was orange-pilled as quickly, and I probably started buying Bitcoin within 24 hours, but I had to be exposed to it three times before I took the time to listen. I guess yeah. since you were researching and trying to find an answer, you were able to uh, go in with the right frame of mind, where in my case, yeah, really... someone was just telling me about it, and I was like, ah, I don't that. They said, it's like online stocks. I said, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> yeah, literally, that's that's the typical story. Um, and I think the reason it was the only reason it was different for my brother and I is just because we had found all of the answers that Bitcoin typically leads you to prior to Bitcoin. So Bitcoin suddenly became the answer to all of the, the problems we had identified. And this was kind of the codified system that would implement these things and experiment or no, this was a fascinating test case for whether or not these theories were correct. So one question I ask everybody who comes on this show, and it's funny, everybody, everybody's answer is pretty much the same, but it's like there are different uh, things involved and, and some of the same things involved they mention. But in your words, what is Bitcoin? Um, Bitcoin is money. Uh, Bitcoin is a better money. Uh, it's it's a it's a language that can't be altered, and in the same way that a concrete language is going to be best at 
confidently communicating information, a inalterable monetary base is going to be best at communicating value. Um, and one of the most important things and one of the most desperately needed, like desperately scarce things that we have in money and finance right now are integrity, the ability to actually audit, like to actually know what you're up against, the, the responsibility or the accountability of those in power who basically have a separate set of rules for our money than we do. And and robustness, we do not have that. And just the, the fact that there are certain groups of people that can cheat and there are, and then there's, then there's the pawns, the people that just have to deal with the consequences of the cheaters. And Bitcoin is a solution to that. Bitcoin is a system that no one can cheat. And it doesn't matter whether you're the president of the, uh, the president or the leader of the most powerful country in the world, or, uh, you know, a 12 year old poor child in Ghana. Like the rules are the same for you. You can run a node and verify them for yourself, top to bottom, beginning to end, and nobody can change that. Well, in other words, what you're saying at the end there is for the first time in human history, and I'm not talking about 15 years, 20 years, 100 years, I'm talking about forever, everybody is on the same playing field when it comes to the opportunity to hold your own money, take care of your own money, do what you want with your own money. You are your own sovereign ruler on financial terms with Bitcoin. As much as realistically possible, yes. The rules of Bitcoin do not care. All of the same problems and inequalities of the, the normal world, of your environment, of your family, whatever it is, those are there. But at least Bitcoin cannot discriminate. It cannot know whether you, the, whether you are the leader of a country or you know, some poor person in the middle of who knows where, it, it will not and cannot change to accommodate a single person. It is, it is verifiable, incorruptible set of rules for money. And if there's anything we need right now in today's society, I, I think that trumps everything else. Now, do you see, um, this is kind of straying from the topic a little bit, but right now the United States with Ukraine, Russia, all this going on, the United States has really kind of weaponized uh, the U.S. dollar. How do you see that affecting Bitcoin, the weaponization of the U.S. dollar? Well, we're seeing, I think it becomes more obvious with the use case of a neutral, a truly neutral and apolitical money is, um, what the value of it is, particularly in like a digital, a digital environment, because Gold has a lot of those characteristics, but it fails when we're talking about moving it across space, when we're talking about moving it from country to country, because it's huge, it's bulky, it's heavy, like it's easy to find, confiscate and control. But Bitcoin is literally lighter than air. It's pure information. Um, so, I mean, the example used all the time is, you know, I can memorize 24 words, walk naked across any border on the planet. And those 24 words are my money. I can, I can carry $10 with me. I can carry a billion dollars with me. It doesn't matter. Um, worth of value. Um, and that truly, that changes things. That really changes things. If anybody is a student of history who thinks about it long enough, you realize just how profound of a shift that is. Well, one of the things that always happens when a country is 
either taken over or a new government comes into effect is the government <laughs> locks down the money and does not allow you to leave the country with your wealth. They not only want to keep you there, they want to keep your wealth there. And with Bitcoin, as you just said, you can remember a set of words, just leave on a plane with nothing, and when you get to where you're going, you have all your money right there. You can lock in to, log into your account and have your Bitcoin with you, which is a great thing about Bitcoin, as it saves you from losing your money. We know people, or I know people, who left Russia as a child and their parents were able to take $20 with them, where that would not be the case with Bitcoin. Now, Guy, we're going to come back after this word, and we're going to get into the Lightning Network, which most of our viewers and listeners probably have never heard of before. But this is one of the bigger advances Bitcoin has come up with lately. So please stay tuned. After this word, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland. Today, we're joined by Guy Swan, the guy who's read more books about Bitcoin than anyone you know. Did I get that right, Guy? That's, that's right. I usually don't <laughs> add in the books, but it's true all the same. <laughs> I used to argue that point with you. <laughs> I, remember, yeah. I remember the first time I met you, I heard you say that. I said, I don't know. I think I might have read more because at that time, I did a show every day about Bitcoin. So from news blogs, I would read. So I was arguing the case, but you did read full books, and I did read five-minute blog posts. So uh, I finally <laughs> gave up on that argument. Hey, before we go on any further, I do have one more thing about basic Bitcoin I want to cover that I get asked mm -hmm. a lot. And uh, I think this is a natural question for boomers, at least, ways to ask because of what we're used to money being or what, what we consider real money. Uh, even though our money's not backed by anything. But what yeah. is Bitcoin backed by? I don't know why they ask this since the dollar's not backed by anything. But what is Bitcoin backed by? That's a question boomers ask all the time. Any representative money is backed by the trust in it, is backed by its guarantee. Um, uh, an example I like to use, or a thought experiment I like to use, is imagine if like, like the dollar started as a gold certificate, right? is that you could redeem it for some centralized place that had value in response to or, or redeemable for the, the dollar unit, the paper unit. So the analogy I like to use is what if there was some way to get all the gold in the world down into a single vault, like two miles below the earth, and you could have some absolutely provable, auditable way to know that there is an explicit piece of paper for every single unit of gold and it can't be cheated in any way, shape or form. There's no quote unquote policy. It's just one for one. And it is perfectly counterfeit proof. We use this for a century. Everything works great. Then one day aliens come down. The, the, the whole thing caves in, doesn't matter. The gold vanishes. It becomes completely inaccessible. When does it stop working if the notes are still secure? When does it lose its trust if nobody knows the gold is gone? That's, what fee, that's why fiat survives for the time that it does. That's why government money does survive for a short time. But inevitably, they abuse it because it's not counterfeit proof. In fact, it's provably counterfeitable by a specific group of people. And there is no human on earth that can essentially give up the godlike power of being able to consume endlessly and never produce. That is the ability to counterfeit. Bitcoin is non-counterfeit, is impossible to counterfeit. 
It is the gold certificate that cannot be faked. That is a highly, highly trustworthy thing. And it is not built on you hoping that it stays the same. It's built around proof that you know it will never and can never alter that promise. But the code, I think a lot of people also realize the code or the blockchain is visible. You can look at it and make sure for yourself at any time that there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin instead of guessing. I mean, I don't think the uh, gold owned by the U.S. has been audited basically ever for a full audit. Nobody knows how much gold there is. I think one time they audited one room of gold and then said, well, we got 25 rooms, so they're all this size. So uh, that's the thing. I think it's been since the 60s that we had any real slightly concrete idea of how much they had, yeah. And even on that subject, as uh, Nick covers in his book, not only do you have dollars, then you have like Euro dollars. People were just making dollars, you know? (laughs) So they're they're even more dollars than were printed by the US government. So now let's get into another part of Bitcoin, which I think is uh, very fascinating and a very important part is a a newer technology, the Lightning Network. Now, most of the time, if you hear any complaints on Bitcoin, it's that it takes too long for the money to process. You couldn't go (laughs) buy a cup of coffee and wait 40 minutes for the payment to uh, process, and it's too expensive. But now with the Lightning Network, it's immediately uh, immediate and almost free. Can we get into the Lightning Network? Yeah, so the way to think about it is, um, like Bitcoin is the, the settlement, the monetary assurance, and the ownership layer. It is, it's profound innovation is the ability to prove that you own this Bitcoin and that nobody can alter that. Because of that, it comes with a lot of trade-offs. One of those necessitates that it does not use a lot of data because the more data it uses, the less people can audit and prove that it is in fact safe and still hasn't been cheated. Um, And when you're talking about a global payments system, uh, you're you're talking about gigabytes and gigabytes, like possibly terabytes every day, like just demolishing the typical computer that anyone has access to, which means that Google and Amazon are going to audit it and we're just going to trust Google and Amazon. We don't want that. That's, that's the problem that we have today that we're trying to move away from, that we're trying to solve. The Lightning Network is a way to turn each one of those transactions on the Bitcoin layer into a bunch of individual payments. It's the carpool lane of the Bitcoin system. You put it's it's the bus, it's the train, it's the plane, it's the it's the transaction that ten pe- ten payments, a hundred payments, ten thousand payments sit inside of, and it's actually just a clever little um, contract uh, where you essentially have uh, the ability to constantly update a transaction that you haven't actually broadcast to Bitcoin, but one thing that you do already have on Bitcoin ready and waiting is essentially like this insurance contract if the person you're making a payment with tries to cheat you. So what happens is if anybody tries to make a fake payment over Lightning, then you essentially are able to take it to Bitcoin and Bitcoin kind of acts as the ownership court and says, oh, well, this one is invalid and this one is valid. So I'm going to replace this one with this one. So it becomes this judicial a system of who actually owns what. So the payments are actually secure, even though you're not having to broadcast everyone. So in doing so, I'm allowed to make payments 
over and over and over again. You know, I bought my BitBlock Boom tickets over Lightning. Um, I, I use Lightning three, four or five times a day, maybe typically. Like I even have this little thing where I pay people 2,100 stats if they catch me on Twitter before I've recorded anything for the day. Um, so it's like it's accountability stats. Um, but I, I probably do. I did like back of the napkin math for every quote unquote Bitcoin transaction I do. I probably do about 100 lightning transactions um, and it's becoming more and more available and it's becoming more efficient of a carpool lane of an aggregator, so to speak. Um, and it is basically a payments network on top of built on top of the ownership system of Bitcoin. Now, I personally, when people are paying me, I don't care if they pay me in Bitcoin or in Lightning, as long as I get my, as long as I get the sats. But the other day, I had to refund some money um, for a ticket for BitBlock Boom, the conference that you're going to be at with me later this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, hey, I'll just send you Bitcoin. And they had paid in Bitcoin, but they asked me, hey, could you just send me sats instead? And I'm wondering, why would they say that? You mean... Why do over... they want sats instead of Bitcoin? Well, I mean, sats are Bitcoin. Yeah, I know, but they wanted me to send them on the Lightning Network. I mean, I'm they sorry. They wanted to send it over Lightning. Yeah. Okay. Why did they well, want it over Lightning instead of Bitcoin? I was just this is a personal question I'm asking. It would probably be, uh, well, A, the just the speed that they might want it. Um, but also, uh, one of the things, if you're actually managing a lot of like different services or whatever, make it so that you don't have to know how the Lightning Network works to use it. It just does all the stuff behind the scenes. But there are a lot of people who manage their channels. I do that myself just because I, I'm a nerd. Um, but so, and one thing that I will do is I'll manage how much I do on Bitcoin versus on Lightning because there's this quote unquote liquidity of this is how much I can do without changing anything right now. This is how much I can receive and this is how much I can send. So if my balance is low and I have... Uh, you know, a channel that has has a really low balance, but I want to be able to get more on Lightning without having to open or change any channels. Well, I'll ask for somebody to pay me over Lightning just so I have a Lightning balance. Okay. Um, because there is that little barrier between bouncing back and forth from Lightning to quote unquote Bitcoin in a traditional wallet. No, that makes sense. Because I was just was going because, like I said, I was just thinking in my case, I don't care. But I'm not running any nodes or any channels or anything. So it, to me, it wouldn't matter where I can see in that situation. It would yeah. be a uh, matter. Now, Bitcoin or Lightning is an overlying layer of Bitcoin, kind of like, I guess, the dollar was an overlying layer of gold or credit cards are overlying layer of the dollar today. Um, we're going to get a little bit more into that in a minute right after this break. And I want to, the question I'm going to ask you when we come back is, since there's no one that runs and controls Bitcoin, how do they do that? How do they add layers and do changes on Bitcoin? And we'll go over that after this word from our sponsor. And welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. As I've said a couple of times already, I'm your host, Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer, joined today by my friend and fellow Bitcoiner, Guy Swan. Now, Guy, we were talking about the Lightning Network before we had to end that. And that's a question people also ask me. Since there is no headquarters for Bitcoin, it's not like any of the other cryptocurrencies. Uh, it's not a crypto. are cryptocurrencies and they're Bitcoin. Let's get that straight first yeah. of all. They're two separate things. But since Bitcoin is not like the cryptocurrencies and there's no one sitting there controlling it, managing it on a day-to-day -day basis or any office you could go into and say, hey, we're shutting this down. How is new code implemented on Bitcoin, like the Lightning Network, 
or the new protocol we just came out with an upgrade recently. How does that happen if there's no boss or no one in control of Bitcoin? Well, when we're talking about actual changes to the, the code on the base layer, Lightning is not that. Lightning is a way to write a transaction on the base layer that lets you do other things that you don't have to talk to Bitcoin about. You don't actually have to have the chain specifically to make alterations to this. It's like a live contract. Um, like you, you open the contract on Bitcoin, then you can do a lot of things, make a lot of payments. You can time lock some stuff. Like there's a lot of things that you can do within that contract and then you can close it later. Um, so lightning happens off of Bitcoin. Now, when you're talking about something like Taproot, which actually fundamentally changes what those instructions could be. And that's one of the um, newer upgrades. That's one of the new upgrades to Bitcoin. Sorry. Yes. Um, that is actually in the base software. That's at the ownership layer. And that's where things get really hairy because you don't want to, you, you know, when you're on a rocket ship to the moon that's running everybody's life support, you don't, you don't tinker. You don't plug it into the internet and, you know, let people just do whatever they want and install apps on it. Like the firmware, if the firmware breaks, people die. So it's an incredibly arduous and lengthy development process in which everybody argues viciously with each other for literally years um, about any sort of update. There's enormous amounts of code review. There's a developer community. I think there's like four or 500 contributors. Um, and there's a lot of different companies that uh, do basically blank grants. They just say, develop for Bitcoin, what you think. And then it's kind of a messy process. It's very decentralized um, in the sense that there is no explicitly concrete way to do anything. Um, so it just takes a really long time to get all the developers on board, to get the users on board, to get the companies on board, to get the miners on board, because there's so many different interests and that's why it moves very, very slowly, which is good because that means it's secure and reliable. And that changes only occur when they have seen, when they have basically been beaten so, so thoroughly that we essentially know that they're not introducing any new bug or attack vector or as best as one can know that. Um, and then slowly over time, nodes upgrade um, with the, the, the logic or the software to understand this new set of instructions, but not actually use it. Then the miners upgrade to be able to read these instructions, the, the new clients upgrade, the businesses upgrade, and slowly but surely you reach a threshold where enough people have upgraded that uh, you start signaling that you're ready. And then there's basically an activation threshold where after enough of the network says, okay, we're ready for the upgrade, it sets a date and like six months out, it turns on on the network and everybody has that last span of time to make sure they, you know, worked all the kinks out of their own computer, like to participate in the network. So it's a very long, complicated process. Luckily, Lightning doesn't have that because Lightning is just the set of instructions used in a different way. Um, now, people don't know, the typical person doesn't understand the architecture of the internet. Um, but the base layer of the internet is referred to as, is, is known as the TCP IP protocol. It is, you know, the IP address, the 192.168.1.blah. Like that is essentially the, the system that decides how and to whom packets are sent on the internet. Little, little blocks of information are sent. Um, and it's completely agnostic. Now, TCP IP, the, the base layer of the internet, 
was around for a long time. It was like 13-ish, 14 years maybe, um, with you know having to type in commands in a terminal and everything was messy and you had to know the website that you were going to, like IP addresses and stuff. It was like, like it was like there was no web. Like the web had to be invented. HTML, the web, or HTTP, it, various protocols, but this, the web was invented later. It was a way to interact with the, the connection layer. And suddenly it turned it into an experience. It turned it into something that you could surf rather than something you had to manually pull gears on. And you could just click on a thing and it took you to a new place. That was revolutionary. That totally changed how the internet behaved and what you could do with it. That is what lightning is to Bitcoin. In the same way that nobody owns the web, like anybody can write their own instructions. Like I could pull up a thing right now and write some real basic crap and make myself a website. Like nobody owns that, right? Um, and that's why the innovation exploded on the internet because anybody, even a 12-year-old kid in their garage can basically design a website and a new idea on how to do something and it can absolutely explode. It can blow up as actually revolutionary. Like we're at the cusp of something where there's just this whole new frontier to actually explore things. And we are now getting that with payments. We're now getting that with money and monetary instruments. Um, and I think what we've seen over the last 20 to 30 years happen with the internet and how it basically tore down the incumbents of the communications uh, systems in our world. Um, it demolished the AT&T monopoly. Uh, it disrupted publishing. It disrupted uh, cable. It disrupted, it's disrupting politics. Like it's literally disrupted everything about communication. I think we're about to see the same thing happen with money. And I think lightning is our web moment. Well, I think that's a really good way of putting that is that what we saw happen with the internet or what the internet did to the world and the existing things uh, in the world that Bitcoin will have the same effect. Because I think Bitcoin, to say it relatively, is in the, close to the year where the internet was in 96. You know, and as we know then, I mean, it was just a, a, a bad time for the internet because it was the beginning. And we're about <laughs> to wrap this up, though, Guy. Before we go, do I want to make sure uh, and give you a moment to tell people where they can find you, find out more about you, follow you, uh, what, what, whatever, you know, how they can know about you and keep up with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you're just looking for anything that you ever wanted to learn or read or dig into about Bitcoin, uh, my podcast, uh, Bitcoin Audible, is basically, I try to get as much of it as possible. We're 600 and some odd reads, almost 800 episodes in total that include interviews and solo episodes where I just dig into a topic that I didn't find something good written about it, I felt like. Um, and uh, so Bitcoin Audible is kind of the center of my little universe. And then obviously, I've got lots of audiobooks. You can find me on Twitter at TheGuySwan. Uh, and I try to answer DMs. It it floods sometimes, so it's hard. But uh, I'm happy to answer questions, help people out. Like what I do all day, every day now, is read about, explain, and try to help people wrap their heads around Bitcoin and begin to use it. Uh, my conference, Bit Block Boom, in Austin, Texas, this August. Guy will be giving a, which we disagreed to yesterday or the day before. Just yesterday. Guy will be uh, giving a workshop on Lightning, which he's done before. This is his third appearance, but fourth time probably at Bit Block Boom, I would think. 
So right. uh, if you want to see Guy or meet him in person, go to bitblockboom.com and check out our event. Guy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I think we went over some information that we've never covered on this show. We have about a minute left. Is there anything else you uh, want to leave us with before we're out of here? Yeah. Um, I want to say that fighting this is not a good idea. Um, like there were a lot of people who resisted like, and you know, maybe it's hard to remember. Um, but people talked about how the internet was going to be a disaster and it was going to destroy the world and that it was going to be horrible because everybody could just speak their mind. Uh, and we tend to get the same philosophical pushback against Bitcoin from certain groups of people, particularly people who have benefited massively from the way the system works right now. And essentially our position to not benefit from the fact that the rules are equal. I think that's but, the main thing is the people yeah. who have control right now do not like the idea of Bitcoin, just like the people in control when the internet came out. Guy, thanks yeah. for joining us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today with Guy. Guy is a great guy who's read more about Bitcoin than anyone you know. But I think he made an excellent point at the end. You really can't shut down Bitcoin at this point. So if you're not joining Bitcoin, you're probably going to be on the losing end here. Just like they said about the internet, it was going to destroy the world and destroy everything. Now, you probably couldn't imagine not having the internet and what that's brought to you to make your life easier. All the apps, all the tools, all the websites that you use every day. And that's the way Bitcoin is going to go for us. You know, they can't shut it down. It's too late unless they shut down the entire internet across the entire planet. China shut down mining. They had more mining, more Bitcoin creation, more Bitcoin mining than any place in the world. And they shut it down completely because they had their own currency they wanted to do use digital currency. Guess what? Everybody just picked up their mining machines and moved to Texas and the United States. So that was a perfect example of how Bitcoin can handle anything any country can throw at it. So I do want you to consider finding out more about Bitcoin. I don't want you to miss this opportunity. I don't have any to sell you. I'm just trying to give you the information here. I also want to remind you to check out my conference BitBlock Boom, the Bitcoin conference celebrating our fifth year in Austin, Texas. It'll be this August. But go to the site, check out all the people at BitBlock Boom that are speaking. It is a Bitcoin conference. You're going to enjoy that completely. I hope you will tell your friends, your family, your associates, whatever about this show and help them learn about Bitcoin too. And also, I hope you join us next week for another episode of the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Now, if you happen to be in Texas or near Texas, you may want to consider coming to BitBlock Barbecue. That's right, BitBlock Barbecue. I host a monthly barbecue dinner in Dallas, Texas, where all we do is sit around and talk about Bitcoin and drink beer. So it's a great time. I don't drink beer personally, but a lot of people do. It's a great time and a great way to learn about Bitcoin. A lot of people don't know any Bitcoiners to talk to, and they might be interested. So it's a great opportunity to meet other Bitcoiners. So I hope you've enjoyed today's show. I want to tell you that again. And I do appreciate you and all the people here at BizTV and BizTalk Radio 
for all the help they've given me on bringing this information to you. Because the world is a scary place and Bitcoin can make it a little more safe or feel like a little more safe. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next week right here 